Namaste. So there is a sequel to the experience with which I would like to begin. So the synthesis uh, literally came into my hands and uh, after that I had a kind of, not posting, but um, temporary duty to uh, base of CHN where uh, I was shut for three months literally with very little work and a lot of time. So I would read the synthesis and what was happening during that period and subsequently that uh, uh, whatever I would read, I would get a glimpse of that in terms of some kind of an experience. And why I am stating this without going further into the details of that is uh, we must understand that what Shurabindu writes is not a philosophy. Uh, The difference is uh, when a philosopher writes, he writes at the level of the mind through the thought. And uh, the way philosophy has to be read is very different. And whereas what Shurabindu writes, he writes from his yogic vision. 1914 means Shurabindu already had all the realizations of the traditional yogas and was already way ahead into the future, the yoga of the future. So it is not only a book of yoga, but a book of yoga written by a yogi of yogis. So the way we need to connect with synthesis is very different from the way we would read, you know, many of the books on yoga or there are a lot of things which are written, but not necessarily from a yogic consciousness or maybe a partial glimpse. But here is a book of yoga written by none else but Yogeshwars. By that I mean uh, somebody who had traveled through different paths of yoga and had all the major experiences right in his bag. So with this background, we come to synthesis. So we know that it was serialized in the Arya, uh, which continued from 1914 to 1921. Uh, So there are two books which came out of that. Uh, There are many books which came out, but two books which uh, we are more acquainted with. One is, of course, The Life Divine, which gives us the uh, metaphysical understanding of uh, Shurabindo's vision. And uh, this metaphysical understanding is on the basis of what Vedanta would say, Tantra would say, all the different systems, Buddhist, etc., the ascetic approach, whereas the materialistic approach to life. And then it takes it all to a grand synthesis where creation is moving. It's an amazing book, wonderful, fascinating, charming. But then the synthesis is about the foundations of the practice of yoga. Uh, it's not exactly the practice, but it gives us enough hints Uh, to, uh, you know, to provide a background of the practice of yoga, it lays the foundation for the practice itself. Having said that, we must also understand that Shurabindu's vision of yoga evolved over a period of time and by that I mean uh, his whole stress was how the yoga can become easier and easier because the aim he had put forward for mankind, which is the aim which he says that, you know, creator himself has put forward. And um, in one word, the aim is very simple. If creation has emerged out of the creator, one, it must be at least uh, same as the creator. At some point of time, we must become one with the creator. But if it is just to become one with the creator, then there was no need to go through all this. So we may say at another level, it would be for the creator himself, something which could not be without the creation. So in one sense, when the creation reaches its um, grand culmination, at least of one crucial stage, it's like the creator re-discovering uh, or the creator, you know, expressing himself in terms which are there within him as a possibility, but when they are presented um, in terms of objective manifestation, it's something so wonderful. And the example can be that when Vyasa writes Mahabharata, even if Vyasa didn't write a single work, he would be Vyasa, wonderful, great, um, full of knowledge. But when he expresses the Mahabharata, in a sense, Vyasa's own greatness becomes something amazing because Mahabharata is flowing out from his own consciousness. So creation has come out of the creator and it must become one with the creator, not only in a sense, but also in manifestation. This is where the distinction begins to appear. Ordinarily, when we speak of yoga, yoga means union. So we mean yoga is union of the soul with the divine. Soul is that portion of the divine which is purest. It's the essence of the divine which is there within uh, creation. But in human beings, it has reached a stage of development where it's capable of evolving and uniting with the divine. Um, There are processes through which the soul can come out of the grip of nature. And actually, 
realize its own divine possibility, its own divine potential, merge with the divine, become one with the divine and act upon the world as the Gita would tell us. This has already been realized so far and Sri had realized all this before coming to Pondicherry and the acme is what the yoga of the Gita would put it, that somebody who is completely merged and one with the divine acts upon the world as a Jivan Mukta. He is a free being, he is completely free inwardly and yet he acts through the circle of nature, limited by the instruments of nature and operating through the forces that are given to him. Uh, somebody who has, for example, knows the best music, has learned music right from Lord Shiva. But yet, when he expresses this music in terms of, uh, through a musical instrument or through words or through song, he is limited by his instrument because he is not, uh, you know, his instruments are not like Lord Shiva's. So this is the little difference that was remaining, but a little difference which makes a world of difference. So there is the soul uniting with the divine which has been well known but Shurbindo now takes the yoga to another level and it is that nature too just as the soul is a portion of the divine limited, diminished in but in essence the same and yet through life after life it can evolve to its own divine stature and divine status so that we may completely become conscious uh, that we are portions of the divine. After that we may merge and be done with birth and life and death or we may continue to exist as a master or this portion which is an essence of the divine when it realizes that I am a portion of the divine may become a, uh, you know, a point, a footstool for the great gods or greater beings to express themselves in life and works. So this has been achieved so far. What about nature? Nature will remain the same. Satyagun, Rajagun, Tamagun. And the instruments, well, human instrument, we know the brain, the body, the heart, the hands, the feet, they have their own uh, limitations and they will remain the same. Which means inwardly we will evolve, but outwardly we will be limited by the instruments. So Shurabindo takes up this unfinished work. And that unfinished work, we can literally say the unfinished work of Sri Krishna himself. Because Sri Krishna, the widest path he has given is through, you know, the, the triple key of works and uh, devotion and... Um, Knowledge, yoga has existed since a long time, but we see yoga itself has arrived at its grand culmination in Sri Krishna. And how does that happen? Is that in the beginning, when man is more physical centered, we have hatha yoga. So we see many of these asuras practicing hatha yoga because they are very much uh, what can be called as deha chinme. They are conscious of the body and the physical world. So they try to twist and turn the body, give it various kinds of processes, methods. Uh, till the divine consciousness which is somewhere involved in it begins to get released. And when it is released, it can give uh, tremendous health and vitality to the body uh, and um, also it can aggrandize the ego because <laughs> the heart yogin doesn't work on the uh, psychical apparatus. Then as humanity evolved and it became more subjective, it became aware of the thoughts, feelings, sensations. So then there came Raj Yoga. Raj Yoga takes a different stand. It works on the mind and the psychical contents. So the Raj Yogin, more than the body, he is concerned with the possibilities of the mind. Can we, you know, uh, develop the mind to a point where instead of hate, it can, you know, give the uh, response of love. Uh, instead of anger, can it return with peace? So... Um, instead of ugliness, can it return good? So he practices not just the physical control, but the mind control and thereby releases from it energies which are divine energies which are locked. And uh, this release can, you know, Raj Yogis often combine the practice of pranayama and other things uh, leading to a awakening of the Kundalini, the energy which is at the base of the spine and matter, in matter. And this once awakened, it travels through all the different layers and unites with its own highest possibility. So this has been done. Now Sri Krishna takes his stand still further. So he picks up three main powers of the uh, human psychological apparatus. And that's why Shobinda says yoga is practical psychology. So the starting point is very different. So Sri Krishna starts with that spirit is involved with the mind and there are three keys with which we can open the door and enter into the kingdom of the spirit. So these three keys are intellect, we all have thought, the capacity to think, hopefully, and then we all have emotions, the capacity to feel, and we, uh, I mean, along with that, all the aesthetic sense and everything else comes into it, and we have a will, which we hardly exercise. But nevertheless, there is a will within us, which operates in our everyday activities. So Sri Krishna taught us that all these three things, 
three powers within us can be turned outward and downward. Ordinarily, that's how human beings operate. Thought is turned outwards to see appearances. It is turned downwards to see how is it going to benefit me, uh, materially or otherwise. Emotions, <coughs> they can be turned up, um, you know, outward. Again, we feel for people who are in our immediate environment, who are connected with us, uh, you know, physically and uh, with whom we have a common interest. Or turn downwards. Downwards means that emotions are used ultimately for gratification of the senses and the sensual aspects of life. And similarly, the will can be turned, it, it's turned outward to acquire outward things downward for the satisfaction of desires and the bodily and vital needs. But Sri Krishna teaches us how to turn them inward and upward. And by turning them inward to explore our own depths and turning them upwards to explore their own possibilities, higher possibilities, we engage in the process of yoga. So this much had been already done. So we see Sri Krishna had already taken yoga to a very high level and a very wide path he had given. And along with that, there was another system of yoga which was practiced in India, which initially it was like at this, all this is Vedantic Yoga because it takes its stand primarily upon the soul. But there is another yoga which took its stand upon nature. It said, but what is nature? Soul is a portion of the divine, but what is nature? And it saw that nature itself is a manifestation of Devi, just as the soul is an essence of the Purusha, the Ishwara. So nature itself has come from the Devi, the great goddess, the divine mother, and it started exploring the energies of nature. And that system we know is called Tantra. It has a right-hand path and a left-hand path. So right-hand path primarily again uses the higher energies and the left-hand path uses its pursuit of power. So it goes right up to even those energies which are normally considered as Nished, not to be touched upon in the practice of yoga. So Tantra, uh, Sri Krishna's uh, yoga is a kind of synthesis of different systems. Tantra is a synthesis in, uh, in its own right because it synthesizes nature with its own higher status, which is, uh, that is to say, with Shakti. But again in Tantra, eventually all this journey is to free the soul from the clutch of nature and enjoy on the way the different possibilities of nature. So this was already done so far. And then we see in the great uh, wonderful phenomena of Sri Ramakrishna, that he combines Tantra and Vedanta also and shows the unity of the different paths, religions, which again can lead us to the doors of the spirit and into the beyond. So we see that Sri Ramakrishna had practiced both Vedantic Yoga as well as, of course, Tantric Yoga and um, different paths of Yoga or, or different religions which were originally Yoga but they were degraded into religion. So what was left for Sri to do and what really is synthesis and why synthesis? Now, in these yogas which we have discussed so far, there is a big question mark. What is this world? Why has it been created? Why should one do yoga at all and free? Then who put us in this ignorance? What is this jail? Who put us into this jail and with what purpose? So this question has remained unanswered. There are ways of answering it, Maya and all that, not going into that. But the original question remains, how did Maya start operating and we were reduced to this. If eventually to go back is the last summit, last possibility. If eventually liberation is the last, uh, liberation of the soul from this uh, magic circle is the last possibility, then why all this at all? Now here comes Sri Aurobindo and says, no, uh, creation is a manifestation of the divine. So this is the first sutra that he gives us that creation is not an accident. It's not some maya came in and started doing its own thing. Maya itself is a power of the Lord. His Maya. And she, she is bringing out of the Lord, out of the infinite possibilities, she is measuring out and releasing them into creation. So all creation is a manifestation. Manifestation of whom? The divine. But what we see in human beings is not divinity. Well, because we are divine in the making and at each level it arrives at a kind of perfection of form and expression. At the level of material object, when we look at a wonderful landscape, mountain, rivers, oceans, sky, galaxies, atoms. So we get a sense of divinity within it. But the moment life comes, then again the journey starts from worm right up to, uh, you know, highest living creatures. Of course, man is also living, 
but just pure life we see that it goes on and then at a point of time thought begins to manifest in higher mammals so it goes up to mammalian brain so here we see life exploring its possibilities and at each species we can discover its own beauty and divinity its own limited perfection but then after that comes man now man has also started his journey from the uh, animal man and has to go right up to divine man so this is the great plan in which we are all engaged in and this journey has two aspects one is an evolution of consciousness within and the second is the evolution of nature and the form change of the form and the instruments so this is a new dimension that should been the brings in that not only the soul must evolve and become one with the divine nature must evolve and become one with the original power and the forms must evolve the very instrument the body the brain the heart the lungs the uh, abdomen the the different bones nerves blood vessels everything must be upgraded to a point where they can express the divine consciousness and the divine shakti freely so the goal of yoga is that not just liberation of the soul but liberation of nature and the second aspect with this evolution what will happen there will be a union perfect union of world and god right now there is an antagonism because god is the purest the highest the most beautiful the perfect one world is imperfect it has its shades of good and bad ugliness and beauty all kinds of mixtures so traditional yoga says this will remain a mixture leave it and go into that perfect one now imagine if we go into the perfect one you'll say but why did i didn't you ponder why did i start the process it's not a great thing that you have come back to me empty handed go back enter into nature engage with it and upgrade it because she too is none else but my shakti which has become maya and then prakriti jad prakriti so making world and god one spirit and matter one and thereby by doing it actually fulfilling the dream great dream of mankind after all what is the original dream that we carry behind our eyelashes in our soul it the dream is to make this world a beautiful place we may not use the word divine well we we all carry a dream of perfection every human being who is evolved a little beyond his animal state begins to dream of a perfect state here upon earth not elsewhere and when it doesn't find it then either he feels frustrated whether it is in his little personal life his little uh, job his relationships and uh, you know the life he is leading or else he turns elsewhere he says well it's not possible so let's turn into that uh, so called divine perfection the divine perfection not the so called uh, initially he starts like that maybe there is and then let me merge with that he gives up on the possibility but here comes shurbindo and he says but this is still a world which is divine in a sense but in manifestation it is divine in the making so it will become divine because its origin is divine so synthesis of yoga the yoga of shurbindo is meant to divinize humanity and through it actually bring down the great dream of a kingdom of heaven on earth ram rajya call it by whatever name but the perfect collective life organized divinely upon earth so it is the terrestrial transformation or the transformation of earthly life into a divine life this is the goal of the yoga and synthesis of yoga or the practice of the yoga is meant to take us to that this is the first aspect now here comes any another interesting thing that shubhendra reveals he says that well in a sense we believe we do the yoga but yoga is actually done already happening divine is doing the yoga within nature it is between divine and nature and it is because of that yoga that creation is evolved from matter up till man otherwise this is the missing link always that how evolution is taking place is it random chance accident etc but it is about matter evolving right up to there because what is this yoga taking place the divine is pouring his consciousness into nature nature is receiving it creating a form so divine keeps pouring then a point comes when that form cannot contain it so when it cannot contain it begins to feel stifled like the caterpillar to be the butterfly so it feels stifled so challenges are created in the environment because it has to progress further so nature starts creating challenges the balance is disturbed and then it evolves further next level 
एट ईच सच क्रूशल जंक्चर वी सी द डिवाइन हिमसेल्फ टेकिंग ए ह्यूमन बॉडी एज द अवतार देन अगेन देर इज एन अदर फॉर्म क्रिएटेड एंड दिस फॉर्म गोज ऑन वेरी हैप्पीली टिल अगेन अ टाइम कम्स वेन द डिवाइन कॉन्शियसनेस इज पोरिंग ए लिटल मोर एंड नेचर एंड द फॉर्म कैनॉट टेक इट सो इट अगेन बर्स्ट एंड enters into another space so it's like an outflowering so all evolution is essentially a uh, yoga of nature but it is being done without the conscious participation of the uh, form and the jiva the the uh, species it's done automatically challenges are created because there is a conscious force in this existence and just like you know now we have this corona and many such things there are challenges created by nature to push us into that evolutionary corner of course we may not take the lesson so it, the challenges keep multiplying but not to go into that but in man what nature does is nature says okay fine till now i have been playing with this toy building and breaking and rebuilding now what if my toy can participate consciously and that happens because something in man has reached a point of development call it the soul the psychic being call it the essence doesn't matter but something has reached a point where it there is in man a conscious urge to progress this is what marks really our humanity humanity is not about the capacities oh he is very intelligent or oh, he has graduated or super graduated from you know harvard or he has lot of money that's not what marks humanity what marks humanity is the urge to progress and this urge comes because there is presence present in us this little being no bigger than the thumb of man the psychic being in man so this urge to progress starts expressing itself in countless ways first it expresses itself outward progress education knowing more more information uh, amassing more things greater degrees but then a time come when this urge for you know progress in outward field has reaches its ceiling and then it says no there must be other fields other domains to conquer and then at that point of development the progress turns inward so the same yoga of nature reaches a point where now man begins to consciously participate in the yoga and then nature has already devised how will he evolve already devised within its limits certain processes by which the evolution can take place so all the yogas that were we practiced earlier or rather mankind practiced earlier through that we discovered something very amazing that we are operating let's say at the level of thought within a certain limit but if we pick up one idea and let this idea become our body and brain and nerves then this idea explodes it becomes very powerful you see the sign of a developed uh, intellectually truly developed uh, mind men- mentally developed human being and the underdeveloped is this that when an underdeveloped person begins to you know pick up an idea you'll see that the discussion will take place typically like on the edge of the table one person starts a discussion about god and it ends up with the food which he had in the restaurant because the mind cannot focus it doesn't know how to concentrate so it flip and flop and flip and flop and change and in the process we really do not arrive at anything but if we can hold one idea doesn't matter posture gesture all this is not important this is the beauty of synthesis synthesis is not about okay uh, i will do hatha yoga for the body i'll do pranayama for the breath i'll do meditation for the mind i'll do little bhakti for the heart, heart. synthesis is not like that the essence of yoga is the ability to hold on to one and focus and concentrate so when the mind concentrate on one idea the idea can be all is god or god is in all or all is in god or all the three together and if the mind can hold on and it has this capacity we develop this capacity through education at least this capacity develops then uh, a time comes when by the sheer concentrating on this idea there is an explosion because idea is a vehicle it's a vehicle of consciousness it's trying to release itself through the idea in human beings it takes the form of idea and suddenly there is an explosion and the truth behind the idea begins to express itself so this is one way of approaching similarly if the heart instead of being attached to this person that person 100 persons suddenly gets drawn towards one this one may be a deity this one can be your master this one can even be a human being see that's the beauty of it and if it concentrates 
loves incompleteness, gives itself incompleteness, then again we enter into the principle of divine love which is operating in creation. It's like we become narrow, 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 narrow and suddenly there is an explosion and we discover the principle of love which is operating in creation. Then everything speaks of love. The sky becomes love. The soil becomes love. Man becomes love. The rivers become love. Animals become love. Plants become love. And we become love. Because that's the power of concentration of the heart. Similarly, the will. We want many things. So we end up actually getting nothing <laughs> or a little bit of everything. <laughs> and he says, Zindagi hai hai. So we are tied with the magic fence. Now imagine if the will focuses only on one thing. I want the divine. Let us say the will completely focuses on that. Then over a period of time, this will itself takes the form of aspiration. Right now, will has become desire. Now it regains its original form, aspiration. And then we see because of that power of aspiration, suddenly there is again an explosion beyond the magic circle of nature and we discover the truth that was contained within the aspiration. So this is the process that yoga uses, individual yogas use. Now how are we going to combine them? Now here Shubhinda brings in a very interesting truth, so relevant to us today. There is a form and there is a spirit. Meaning thereby, let's say, that I have to express an idea, idea of love. Now, how many forms it can take? It can take the form of a mother bringing up a child. It can take the form of a uh, soldier who dies on the battlefield out of love for the country. It can take the form of a bird which is picking up uh, food and starving itself and feeding the child first. It can take the form of plant moving towards the sun. It can take the form of beauty in matter, river flowing towards the sea. It's the same force, but manifesting in countless forms and many, many others. At human level itself, we see that love takes so many forms, even within the range of human emotions, where we see love is taking the form of you know, parent to child, love takes the form of master and disciple, takes the form of teacher and student, takes the form of you know, servant and master, takes the form of lover and beloved. I have not mentioned husband and wife because that's an institution that man has created. But its original form of love is the lover and beloved. So we see that love itself can take so many forms at a human level. Now, but principle is the same, it is love. So we have to catch the principle. Synthesis is not the form. So in yoga also there is a tendency to catch hold of the form because form becomes very visible and tangible. So very often people ask, how am I to practice the yoga? So you tell them that, well, you know, you have to remember and offer, work upon the, uh, your emotional being and, you know, uh, take a thought and concentrate. So the next question will be, how do I remember and offer? Now, you know, there is a tendency to over-specialize a form. By over-specialization means we see, for example, in hatha yoga. With the bodily yoga, it has been so much. Every person adds a little twist to the human tail and it becomes a new brand of yoga. Or breathing. You will see so many new techniques and eventually it becomes a new form of yoga. But what is important is not the breathing. It's What is important is not really that outer practice. It has its place. But why we are doing it? You see that famous story which is so instructive in the Bhagavad where Udhav goes to teach the gopis what is uh, yoga. So they tell you people are mad. You just love Krishna but Krishna is nirvikar, parbrahm etc. etc. So gopis say doesn't matter. We are happy you are talking about Krishna. So what do we do? Say don't do all these things. Okay, tell us what to do. See, I'll teach you a method of pranayam. Okay, fine. They are all sitting. What next? Say now, hold your breath, catch your breath and start doing this process. So, the gopis say, which breath? Breath. But we have given our prana to the Lord. Our breath is to the Lord. With each, each breath we take his name. What do you want us to do? And the story goes that Udhav comes back, Ambil, that my God, this is yoga I had never known. So, it is the intent which is so important, the aspiration. It is not the form that we do. The divine cares least. He is not tied mechanically to, okay, he is not sitting with a, you know, a chart where he is ticking all the boxes right. Okay, this man sitting straight, correct, bolt straight, tick. 90 degree angle, tick. Sitting cross-legged, tick. 
at the end of all this, the most important is, what was he aspiring? He was thinking about his wife. Cancelled everything. Or he was thinking about aggrandizing his ego, like, you know, Ravana. He was doing everything right. All the check boxes were correct. But at the end of it, he was saying, how I can become immortal so that, you know, I can even satisfy all my ambitions. So, core of yoga is not the form, but the aspiration. Of course, it will take a form. But this form, Shubhindu, deliberately leaves a little bit free to evolve. Because there must be plasticity, different human consciousness. Each one is different. There are people who love to walk and remember. There are those who love to sit and remember. There are those who sit on, you know, who because they have a traditional background, they feel if they sit on, you know, a particular posture, you know, it will be fine. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. There are others who believe that, you know, they can sit on a chair and concentrate so much. It's perfectly fine. The form and the spirit. So he reveals that in yoga, the tendency towards over-specialization became a problem. Because now, you know, the moment you talk about yoga, everybody thinks of Patanjali's yoga and where you have the codification. So codification is alright for the mind. Codification becomes a barrier when we are entering into the freedom of the infinite. You must understand, yoga is, puts us in contact with the infinite. The divine who is free, he is not a slave to any technique or method. You can't tie him even to a mantra. Because he is free and infinite. Everything has emerged from him. Yes, if you take a mantra beautifully, he is, you know, we have such, again, beautiful story of Ramayana. Other day I was narrating. Valmiki uh, couldn't say Ram. Because he could only say Mara, 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 Ram, 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 Ram. So Mara became Ram. And the, as the saying goes, Ulta Naam Japa Jagjana Balmiki Bhai Brahma Samana. It is that inner aspiration with which we move into the yoga. So synthesis is not Hat Yoga plus Raj Yoga plus Bhakti Yoga plus Gyan Yoga plus Karmi Yoga plus something else. <laughs> it's not synthesis. Shobinda makes it very, very clear. Synthesis takes up the essence of all yogas, which is to unite with the divine. And therefore, yoga begins when we take up the journey of yoga, not for any other motive, be it gaining power, be it gaining, uh, you know, um, helping humanity, be it becoming yogis. None of this is a valid purpose for yoga. Yoga starts when we say, I can't help but become one with the divine. When this urge comes, then paths, processes, everything evolves because he knows himself in the heart of the seeker. That's the beauty of this yoga. It allows that freedom of scope because we want to come in contact with him whom nothing can bound. You know, the last man who tried binding the divine was not the last. One was Duryodhana. He tried to tie Krishna and see what happened. Kurushetra. Another person who did the same mistake, he didn't learn. So in times, modern times, Duryodhana and Dhritarashtra all were reborn. I am not going to say as whom. So the British Empire tied to tie Shurabindo. So, Shurabindo said, okay, tie me. So, he was tied by the waist, literally. And the entire British Empire was not only demolished till now, Brexit and all that. Because you tried to tie the divine. So, so you see, we should not tie the divine into fixed formulas and become rigid about it. That's how religions are created. Oh, if you do this, then only God will be pleased. Then it becomes more and more rigid, more and more codified. And... To remember that, you know, divine knows himself in the heart of the seeker. He knows why you are seeking. And that's what matters most for us. So this is the background of the synthesis uh, and the different systems of yoga. I'll just read a little passage toward the end. So what really is this method, Shurabindo, beautifully um, important thing is to um, put ourselves in contact with the divine. So divine is doing the yoga in nature. But we have to do Saha Yoga. Help him. <laughs> How we can help him? Well, when mom is preparing food and the child says, uh, I am not going to come. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. And food is getting cold. Instead of that, mom, you have prepared with so much love. Give me, I'll take it as prasad. You know. So what is that collaboration? That, is, that collaboration is not to resist the divine action. To open and become receptive. How do we become open and receptive? By surrender. When a child takes this attitude, I'm not saying that this should be the, you know, that parents know everything about a child. But a child can take this attitude, maybe the parent or the teacher knows uh, a little better and has the good of me in, in his mind. So then life becomes easy. 
otherwise again i am not saying that parents are evolved or teachers are evolved uh, revolt as it's wonderful place in in human ignorance but what i am saying is that the principle is this that the divine wisdom operates in our life so we can take one of the two attitudes what is always complaining and grumbling oh you are divine i believe you do good things but look at my life kya ho gaya hai mera zindagi mein this is <laughs> resisting the divine action second day we take the attitude you know best you are wise and you love and surely whatever is happening in my life you know it um, very well and it must be an act of love from you even if i am passing through hell it must be a shortcut to heaven when we take that attitude that is called surrender so the difference between surrender and this is this one attitude surrender is not that today i go and say mother it is yours take it that's not surrender surrender is where we take this attitude and accept things that everything is coming as a prasad you see that radha's prayer whether you give me whether i get pleasure or pain or joy or sorrow all that comes from you to me is a supreme felicity and i give all my thoughts feelings sensation that means in the manifold relation of the world this giving is in traditional yoga it is giving only to some supra cosmic deity in all relations in the world it will look as if it is to people and objects but it is being given to the divine and when we do that start living life that way then magic happens <laughs> so so this is the and synthesis needed precisely for that so that every part of nature can change if it's escape then why have a synthesis at all any of the yogas we can pierce a hole in the magic circle and escape why bother about synthesis synthesis is precisely so that the entire field of nature with all its apparatus can change and therefore what we have to do is the entire apparatus and the entire field we have to offer it to the divine and this what he reveals in um, this uh, chapter called synthesis and he says very beautifully that what it really means the method we have to pursue then is to put our whole conscious being into relation and contact with the divine whole conscious being even the most material mechanical activities when we get up brushing the teeth going to the washroom opening the door meeting somebody reading listening sitting in silence work everything so whole conscious being and to call him in to transform our entire being into his so we put in relation not tamasically but with an aspiration may it be you who expresses himself in each and every activity of mine so that in a sense god himself the real person in us becomes the sadhaka of the sadhana as well as the master of the yoga so this is the original truth he is reinstating that he is the one who is doing the yoga and by doing this he becomes the master of the yoga in psychological fact this method translates itself into the progressive surrender of the ego its whole field and all its apparatus to the beyond ego with its vast and incalculable but always inevitable workings so what is this working shubindu says how this yoga works normally people ask okay what are the stages of the yoga forget about it it's not a canal where we are swimming swimming from 6 uh, feet deep to 3 feet deep it's not like that it is an ocean so in ocean we have countless things when the divine consciousness begins to work it will raise one point right now which is open and we have beautiful experiences in that domain and then there is another part which is resisting we don't know and then when this is done she skips it to the side and enters into another and lifts it then we say are what happened see it is something like in different places when you have a car different parts are assembled in different places and they have their different uh, ways of assembling the way you make an engine of a car is very different from the way you make a fuel tank and the way you make door so certain things are easy certain things are more difficult certain things will be prepared uh, with without so much testing required but certain things have to be tested to six sigma so everything is being different parts are touched raised up worked upon kept aside another part touched raised worked upon kept aside another part so it's like a circular movement and it's not even one part second part 
Sometimes many parts together because we as human beings are not divided. We are not, we are actually, all movement of life is one. We try to make it path of knowledge, only the head. What about the heart? Let it remain dark. No, always the heart is also there, the will is there, the physical is there, the brain is involved in thinking. So movement of life is always integral. So here also we see that the divine Shakti works in, a, in this way. Second, because she is all-knowing and omnipotent. She doesn't care for her defects and this and that difficulties. We make too much halabalu about it. But if we know how to surrender, she can transmute the most, you know, dullest and resisting, hard, raw iron ore into pure gold. This is the power of that alchemic touch. I mean, she has created this whole creation. Who are we? We think, give us ourselves too much importance by saying, Oh, I am having so many defects, I am a sinner. Well, <laughs> her grace is infinite. So, the yoga depends upon that grace and love. So, she works in ways which are incalculable, not like the human way. We want to, we rationally try to think, this will lead to this result. But the divine plays through paradoxes. He creates a completely opposite situation to build out of it a grand harmony. So, this is how the divine works. So, we have to learn to surrender at every step. And finally, the divine uh, force that works in this yoga, the divine mother's force, it uses the most trivial of events, seemingly trivial, to build perfection. You know, when you arrange a house and many people, it's like they try to, you know, make good color in the wall and everything. But there are many aspects. It, a person with an eye for detail will see everything. The smallest little thing. So similarly, the most trivial experiences. So we may think yoga is happening when we are sitting in meditation. Well, that is one, one part. Too much talk about meditation all the time. As if yoga is synonymous with meditation. One may do a yoga, arrive at the highest realization without sitting in meditation. This is one part of it. Or we think that bhakti is when I go to temple and do this uh, arati and all this dhol manjira. Maybe, but may not be. There may be a show of bhakti rather than anything else. But ultimately, when does yoga take place? You have done all this. You entered the ashram, sat in meditation, felt very nice and then you come out and you think that, you know, I am experiencing something so good. You step out and suddenly you see the face of the person you just don't like to see. And you do a little winch. Oh, why this man? Why I have to see him? Chi, 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 chi. Like har har gange, you know. <laughs> so we have, you know, always there are some, for each one his own <laughs> elite and other. So what is this yoga? This was the occasion for yoga. All that is theory. This is practice. So contemplation builds the consciousness. But real life, so yoga takes place in real time. It is not just a, a isolated one hour or two hours meditation but all the time which means we have to be conscious we have to be vigilant we have to have humility sincerity so that every time there is an opportunity we can either make a progress or we may fail somebody says something or does something we don't like now that's a moment to take a leap of yoga so it is a process which goes on all the time it's not that we have to become you know mentally taught and strained Stay open and she will show us what needs to be rejected, what needs to be changed and it takes time so we have to persevere, we have to endure through the passage. So she says, so what is required? Suddenly this is no uh, shortcut or easy sadhana because it involves the whole field of nature and its transformation. It requires a colossal faith and absolute courage and above all an unflinching patience. Why courage? Because we don't want to face ourselves. The biggest courage is to face ourselves. There is no enemy outside. That is easy to face. I am here. You, my enemy, are there. But my enemy is inside me. This is very difficult. Because I am always a good guy and everybody else is a bad guy. So this requires tremendous courage. Colossal faith. Suddenly, things which I never imagined are within myself are raised up. And you wonder, Ari, what's happening? Am I also having these things? Yes. All nature is one with universal nature. So it requires faith that through all this, the journey is going on. 
and above all an unflinching patience. It is not a yoga where in five years, ten years we want to, or nowadays, well, two weeks crash course, uh, you pay so much money and you have a nice feel good experience and you say, ah, this course helped me. If that is the kind of, uh, it's not a McDonald's or you know, fast food restaurant where we go, pay money and get a yoga certificate. If somebody wants that, then well, there are many paths. This is not a certification degree. It is actual change and actual change takes time. So this is the why patience is required. But if we do it, for it implies three stages of which only the last can be wholly blissful or rapid. The attempt of the ego to enter into contact with the divine. Whatever means, doesn't matter. Remember, offer, think, strive, have a thirst, feel ma, 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 call, whatever means. But just it tries to come in contact with the divine. Read, contemplate, listen to a talk, sit in silence, doesn't matter. But just the attempt is there, effort is there. The wide, full and therefore laborious preparation of the whole lower nature by the divine working to receive and become the higher nature. Then the divine at one point says, Okay, you are serious? You really want me? Yes, my Lord, I want you. Okay, I come. Then the, you know, what is it, Lord? Flooding me. What else you expected? A little stream of water trickling and you feel so good. I'm not, I don't come in packaged Coca-Cola bottles. When I come, it's a tsunami. You will feel tumbled all over. Lord, what will happen after the tumble? You will die and you will be reborn. Newborn into the spirit. So the third is and the eventual transformation. In fact, however, the divine strength often unobserved and behind the veil substitutes itself for our weakness and supports us through all our failings of faith, courage and patience. Always is there. But doesn't actually say it openly like a good teacher. He will give you a good beating. You know when you learn judo, what is the first thing which is taught? How to fall. The teacher will make you fall hundred times. You think, when will you teach me how to go for the <laughs> real thing? Learn this, no? Then I'll teach you that also through this. So the teacher knows when to do what. And we have to have that faith, patience and courage. And then beautifully he says... It makes the blind to see and the lame to stride over the hills. The intellect becomes aware of a law that beneficently insists and a succor that upholds. The heart speaks of a master of all things and friend of man or a universal mother who upholds through all stumblings. Therefore this path is at once the most difficult imaginable if you look at the result and yet in comparison with the magnitude of its effort and object, the most easy and sure of all. So, the difficulty is, it's not teaching a chimpanzee to do 2 plus 2 equals to 4. It is to create in his brain the cells that can understand mathematics. This is the challenge. This is transformation. It's not about teaching 2 plus 2 equals to 4 as in a circus. It is to teach him how to really solve mathematics, to understand numbers, the symbols and all this. So this is the yoga. And finally, what is this faith? What really at the end matters? What matters is, mother has said, faith and endurance, faith and perseverance. What is perseverance and endurance? It's will. To stick on and hold on. Sri repeatedly says, one must know how to stick on and hold on or to be held. He even makes it easier. And then he says, at least faith is required. And here he puts it very beautifully. <clears throat> the eventual omnipotence of tapas and the infallible fulfillment of the idea are the very foundation of all yoga. In man we render these terms by will and faith. A will that is eventually self-effective because it is of the substance of knowledge and a faith that is the reflex of the lower consciousness of a truth or real idea yet unrealized in the manifestation. It is this self-certainty of the idea which is meant by the Gita when it says whatever is a man's faith or the sure idea in him that he becomes. 
So if you all the time believe I am a monkey, I am a social animal, I am you know this, that, I am this little creature, then we, the faith has limited us. But if we believe, have the faith that I am divine in a sense and I am born to become divine and there is a persistent will, despite all the failures, faults and stumblings, if we keep to this will and keep to this faith, trusting that there is soul within and the Divine Mother's grace above, then we'll end up realizing it. So this is the, in a sense, the synthesis that should be the proposes. We'll take up the next session on 3rd February and take up a little more in detail. Namaste. The process of involution. Well, it is a yoga in reverse and I can put it like this. What is involution? When a tree puts all its energy and becomes a seed. So what is this seed? The whole tree is in the seed and this seed drops to the ground to become a new tree. So this seed dropping to the ground, the Ashwat tree of the Gita, this is involution that the divine consciousness involutes literally concentrates itself into a small little point, almost a vanishing point. And that little vanishing point is sown into the bed of inconscience. And from that point, evolution starts. You know, it's the big bang point, etc. But how did that point come into existence, that point of intense concentrated energy? So involution, we can say, is the divine becoming all this nescience. So this is, yes, of course, but it's not... Technically called as yoga, but we can say that it is the, the background of yoga. He is setting the stage. And after that what starts is the whole process of manifestation. So involution of course precedes evolution. It, it gives the logic to evolution. Otherwise evolution appears an absurdity, almost a lie. Thank you. Yes. Yes, so that in the next session I can even touch upon them. Yes, that will be very good. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Namaskar. Yes. Yes, yes, the four eights is what will come in the next uh, session because that's about integral yoga. Otherwise, uh, we would have missed out on this background. Yes, I will definitely be doing that. Yes, 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 it will be covered in, in on Wednesday. Yes, yeah. Thank you, thank you.